this line is as good as we expect it to be to make a national title run, it needs to dominate this game. back what's up everybody it is tuesday august 31st welcome to this week's episode of the mainline podcast i'm your host tyler burton as always joined alongside by adam jacquez and corbin Polson. boys how are we doing man what a uh, last couple of days it's been uh i guess it never felt like the game was going to get completely canceled which is is a good thing um but man i'm, I'm just excited that we'll have some football and um, hopefully it can uh, be something that takes people's minds off of everything that's going on down in louisiana and just enjoy a game uh, for an afternoon. So looking forward to it. Yeah, obviously would love for events to be different, um, you know, for the reason this game is being played in Norman. But obviously thoughts and prayers to everybody in Louisiana. But um, you know what? We have college football this weekend. I echo what Adam said. Hopefully this will be some distraction to the folks down in Louisiana who were impacted by the storm. But uh, guys, tell you what, starting Thursday, good games on the schedule. So I'm pumped for this week. Yeah, this is the second year in a row our family's away game trip has been canceled. Army last year, obviously due to COVID. Now Hurricane Ida uh, shows her face and not going to be able to go to New Orleans. But um, guys, before I go any further, I've got to point out that this is a big night. It's our 50th episode doing this podcast. And guys, it's so crazy to me that we've been doing this show. We've been doing this thing for over a year now. We're starting our second season of doing it. So it's uh, pr- pretty cool. I never thought that we would get to this point. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I guess we missed a couple weeks in there around Christmas, but um, it is is absolutely crazy that um, you know we've gone this far. I can't imagine many podcasts have, have made it this far, and um, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but um, I mean our our listeners have just exploded over the last two months, so uh, grown substantially. So we thank everybody for listening. Um, that that makes a uh, makes it all worthwhile to know that people are appreciating what we're putting out there. Yeah, and like you said, Corbin, you know, first off, our thoughts and prayers go out to the city of New Orleans, the state of Louisiana, and all the people who've been affected by this horrible storm that came in over the weekend, Hurricane Ida. You know, this is a game that was originally supposed to be played at Uleman Stadium. And once we got to last Thursday and Friday, guys, it started becoming more and more apparent that this tropical storm was morphing into, you know, what would ultimately become a Category 4 hurricane. So we knew that it was probably likely this game wasn't going to be played in New Orleans. And once once Sunday night got here, it became real apparent that this was super serious and um, we were not going to be making the trip down to New Orleans. And, guys, once once Monday got here, Corbin, we kind of got a, a curveball thrown to us. There were a lot of OU sources that were, you know, confirming the reports that this game was going to be moved to Norman. But, um, you know, we did get that tweet from the Tulane Athletic Director saying that the, that was completely false. And Tulane, it was even being talked about, they might not even play the game at all. So I'm um, just glad that we're here at this point right now and can't wait for kickoff uh, at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Yeah, you couldn't have blamed Tulane if they decided not to play this game. Um, you know, you can strongly make, you know, an argument this is would have been in bad taste if you end up playing this game as, you know, New Orleans and lots of Louisiana and Mississippi are kind of just devastated at the moment. Um, so would have understood, would have been obviously super sad, but in the grand scheme of things, we can live without football. Um, you know, we've almost did it an entire college football season last year. We almost live without it. So, um, yeah, obviously just love the fact the game is being played. Love the fact that the the ticket sales are going back to Tulane. Hopefully that helps not only with their athletic department, but they can put some of that money aside, um, you know, to help with the hurricane relief. I've seen some people reach out saying, hey, of the, you know, 
tickets that we paid for, you know, we were heading to Tulane. Can we put that money aside for the hurricane relief fund? I mean, so it's cool, you know, seeing, you know, Oklahomans and, and Sooners doing what we do, um, you know, and reaching out and, and being a, a part of the solution in time of need. So as bad as the situation has been, it's been, uh, there's been some cool moments to, uh, to watch on social media and things like that as well. Yeah. And it's going to be a really interesting game day experience. I mean, the turnaround for Sooner fans. I think we kind of knew this might be the direction it was heading, but I'm, I'm curious to see how many fans show up. Um, it's kind of going to be a little bit bare bones. Um, a lot of things still not starting up until the following week against Western Carolina. It's going to be blazing hot, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I think it's still going to be a fun time. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's it's an interesting little twist and wrinkle for uh, for the opener, and um, I, I want I really wonder. It's so hard to predict what the game would have been like if we had played it as scheduled in New Orleans. But um, you got to think that this is probably going to affect the, you know, how close the game is, the overall outcome, even if it's just a little bit. Are you going, Adam? Uh, still haven't officially decided, but most likely, yeah. Okay. yeah I, I don't know why I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got till tomorrow at five to get your take. That's true. So, yeah. There you go. Well, guys, we do have a jam packed show tonight. Before we dive into the OU Tulane matchup, talk some X's and O's. We do have a guest tonight. We do have an interview with uh, Corey Glore, the voice of the Green Wave. He's Tulane's uh, Toby Rowland, uh, for those of you that are, are familiar with that. So I want to let all of you listeners know ahead of time that I actually sat down and spoke to Corey almost a week ago before all this stuff with Hurricane Ida kind of you know made her way through the Gulf Coast. So you're going to hear some talk about New Orleans, Tulane University, and maybe even a few recommendations on where uh, Corey was telling OU fans to, to check out places to eat down in New Orleans. So now, unfortunately, that doesn't apply anymore to this weekend, but we know OU is going to be making a return trip to, uh, to Tulane for a game in the near future. So jot down these restaurants and we can hit those up at a later date. Um, but in having a chance to talk to Corey, this is a guy that is as plugged into Tulane football as you can get. Um, we had a great conversation about the team OU is going to line up against on Saturday. So Sooner fans, without further ado, here's the voice of the Green Wave, Corey Glore. Okay, tonight it is our pleasure to be joined by the new voice of the Green Wave. Mr. Corey Glore is in the house. Corey, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I would imagine there is uh, some anticipation about this upcoming game in your neck of the woods as there is here. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of excitement, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware of down in Louisiana here in Norman, Oklahoma. College football is king in this town and in this state, and we've got a big game coming up here. Uh, down in New Orleans to kick off college football season for the Oklahoma Sooners and the Tulane Green Wave. So, Corey, before we dive into the X's and O's and look ahead to the matchup, uh, just kind of talk to us a little about you're going into your first season down there at Tulane. Tell us about how you guys at this point in your career and uh, your excitement level become the new voice of the Green Wave. Sure. I, uh, I've i been in this business for about 12 years or so. I was working at a small radio station out of college back home in Rockford, Illinois, and I worked there for a few years. And then I started working with then IMG College, now they're Learfield. And after a few different transitions, I started working with them and moved to North Carolina in 2014, doing some producer, host work, all that fun stuff, all trying to find high school games to call. You know, I called some minor league baseball back home in Wisconsin. And then I started working at East Carolina University back in 2016, and I called their baseball program for six years. And then this past summer, right around Memorial Day, I was reached out about this position and how it was likely going to be opening up. And 
if I wanted to speak to them, hear about it. And I said, absolutely. And then once Super Regionals were done for East Carolina baseball, I was down here in New Orleans and, and signing on to become the new voice of the Green Wave. So it's it's a city I've always wanted to be a part of. I've been here a few times at the school that I've seen from afar that is really starting to accelerate forward at a pretty rapid rate. And so it was something that's always been on my mind for the last couple of years about trying to find my way down here. And fortunately, things kind of fell that way. And now here I am. Well, it's funny you bring up your connection with IMG Learfield. Coming straight out of college, my first job was actually with IMG Learfield selling tickets for OU Athletics. So a little bit of a connection there and uh, definitely missed my time working at OU. But uh, I want to ask you a little bit, Corey, about the game day experience. Now, the excitement level of this team, the student body in the city of New Orleans, what should OU fans who are making the trip down to New Orleans and to the campus of Tulane, what should they expect when they arrive down to New Orleans uh, coming up here in just a few days? A packed house, they're going to set, from everything I've been hearing, a record number for Yeoman Stadium. And it's not the oldest stadium on earth, and it's it's not the biggest either. It's going to be 30,000, but they're going to set a record here. So for those who are coming in from Norman or wherever they might be driving over from Texas for this game to support Oklahoma, there will be a lot of people that you'll have to navigate around here in a, in a pretty small area. It's a pretty condensed campus. And I think the biggest change that Oklahoma fans might have to kind of wrap their head around when they come here is that the tailgating experience is pretty different than what you'll see at Oklahoma or a lot of other schools around the country. It's it's more akin to what Ole Miss does, where you have to reserve space and tents and within the campus and and there's buffets set up. And uh, it's more of a more of a refined experience, frankly, here at Tulane. You can't really just put your car in a parking spot and open up the trunk and start grilling out. That's just not how tailgating is done here. And so for, for those Oklahoma fans who are driving down and are anticipating doing that, uh, it's going to be a challenge because that, that's not how it's set up and orchestrated here at Tulane. But I think what they're going to see is hopefully they're going to take part in walking around this campus. I know they'll experience what New Orleans is when they're here and see the really fun, unique things that are being put together here, not just for Tulane Athletics, but for the university as a whole. There's there's a lot of excitement around what this school has been doing here of late. And so I hope Oklahoma fans take a little bit of a moment before they come out to the game and, and walk around and experience the Tulane campus. It's It's a very unique setting here. Well, myself, I'll be making the trip down to New Orleans next Friday, and so really excited about that. I've seen a lot of a lot of pictures to Lane Campus. It looks beautiful, and I'm definitely excited to uh, be a part of the scenery down there in New Orleans and then take full advantage of the game day experience on the campus of Tulane. One of the things that I kind of took away from listening to an old interview uh, with Tulane head coach Willie Fritz talking about how even though it does only seat 38,000, which is not what you know OU fans are expected, it's a really good atmosphere, and there's really not a bad seat anywhere in that stadium. So let's let's talk a little bit about the matchup, um, starting on the offensive side of the football for you guys. Um, a lot of people are excited about Michael Pratt, uh, returning starting quarterback, had 20 passing touchdowns last season. I believe that was the most passing touchdowns by a two-lane quarterback uh, since 2012. So um, when you look at Michael Pratt going into his second year, how excited is Willie Fritz and Chip Long about him going into this season and kind of what areas in his game are, are the coaches and the fans kind of expecting him to make a jump to that next level? 
first part of the question first, they're very excited about what he might be able to do when he took the reins three games into the year last year as a true freshman. And you, you mentioned the 20 touchdowns and no true freshman threw more in the country than him last year. And it was in nine games. So I think they sense the sky's a limit type of deal for Michael Pratt. And you've seen that just being around him. I think he's starting to realize just what he could be here heading into year two. He's become an extremely effective leader, not just of this offense, but of the team vocally, emotionally, and then by example. And to see that from a sophomore, from a guy that didn't start playing football until freshman year of high school. Uh, and so this is still pretty new for him playing this sport. This will be year six of him actually playing this sport regularly. And he's already making the, the impressions that he has. I think what Chip Long especially is really excited about is getting him in motion a little bit more. He did. He does have mobility. They used it kind of as a break glass in case of emergency scenario last year. But they're going to use him a lot more in running plays because – if he gets those legs going, then that's going to open things up more to continue the success that he had passing the ball last year. And he's got some weapons to throw to. And so I think you're going to see a lot more design QB draw stuff and for him to actually get out in space and move around because he's got that ability to do so and become a multifaceted weapon at quarterback. When I turned on the two late from uh, the tape from one of Tulane's games last year, that was one of the first things that kind of jumped off to me when watching uh, Pratt. You know, re- really good athlete, can make plays with his feet, has the opportunity, and likes to push the ball down the field to, to guys like Jaquan Jackson, Deuce Watts, two guys um, that, you know, are pretty dangerous whenever they've got the ball in their hands. But um, talking about the running back position and who Michael Pratt's going to be handing the ball off to, what can you tell Oklahoma fans about the two-lane running back room and who they can expect to see carry the rock here in a few days? Well, if Willie Fritz and Chip Long have their way in week one, you could see no less than five guys see time in the backfield, regardless of the game situation. It's been arguably the deepest position this team has. Maybe linebacker gets in that discussion, but with Cam Carroll probably at the top of the heap right now, there's really a 1A and 1B between Cam Carroll and Tajay Spears. Carroll is a bruiser, and he's a great between-the-tackles guy. They're trying to get him more out and flat in space and everything right now, but, I mean, he'll run people over up the middle. And then Tajay Spears is more of the space speed guy. Give him a little bit of room, and he's going to make you pay for it. He's coming off a torn ACL. He's been full go here in fall camp, though, so they expect him to be – fully ready for, for Oklahoma come the fourth. And so those two at the top, and then they get a transfer in from Utah, Devin Brumfield, who is kind of a nice blend of the two. He's got speed, but he's a bowling ball of a human being. And he transfers in from Utah. He's, he's a local kid here from New Orleans. And so he wanted to come home and he's made some really impressive things happen already in camp. And then beneath him, you got Iverson Celestine, another local kid who lately in, in camp and practice has started turning some heads. And there's even, you know, a guy by YG, the name of YG Booker, who was a running back almost solely last year. And now he's kind of been playing all over the field here in camp. He's been slot wide receiver, seeing some time at running back, but he'll likely see some time in the backfield as well here. So, so there's five guys that Willie Fritz, who loves the running game, that's been part of his deal ever since he started coaching, the running attack. Um, five guys that they truly believe can not just do work for them, but do some great things for them. 
it's definitely going to be interesting. I know that um, a lot of OU fans maybe aren't giving Tulane the credit and the respect that they deserve, but whenever you look at the film, whenever you see the caliber of players that they do have, they're going to be able to pose some challenges to Oklahoma, especially coming out of week one, OU not really having any film uh, on a few guys, and especially going into a new year with a new offensive coordinator. But switching over to the other side of the football, Tulane fans got some good news at the end of last year with a familiar face, <clears throat> Chris Hampton returning to Tulane, this time to be the defensive coordinator in Corey. You really don't get to ease into the season as a defensive coordinator when you're facing Lincoln Riley and Lane Kiffin offenses two out of your first three games. But pushing all that aside, what should Tulane fans expect to see out of their defense this season? Because they've got a very good group of returning starters coming back from a year ago. The front seven of this team is as good as anybody in the American uh, and they actually lost some huge pieces to that last year. Patrick Johnson, Cam Sample, those guys are in the NFL now and, and fighting for spots. And they feel like they're even stronger up front now this year. The reason why I think Chris Hampton is such a huge return for this program is because he's a defensive backs guy. And that was a sore spot last year. The talent's there. Jalen Monroe's a terrific cornerback. But a lot of things got over his head last year. And Tulane, they finished 6-6 six and six with the bowl game loss. And this thir- three straight bowl games, which hasn't happened in Tulane history. And so it, it's been a nice feather in the cap here of late. But they know they left good three wins on the table last year just by giving up huge plays. They, they lost it or they had to go to a, overtime against Tulsa. They gave up a Hail Mary at the very end of regulation to do so. They lost on a deep bomb to Navy last year late in the game. They feel that they have the ability to prevent that from happening. Uh, it just has to be put into practice. And so the starters that they get back, you know, Jalen Monroe is the key guy in the second, Gary. Macon Clark, the safety, has had a terrific August. He's really been a standout to me. They bring in Lance Robinson, a Kansas State transfer, to be on the other side of things. But up front is where their bread's going to be buttered because you have – Top two tacklers on this team last year, Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, linebackers, they did not start for most of the year last year. The guys who started, Kevin Henry, Marvin Moody, they're back this year in the linebacker spot. And then Jeffrey Johnson, the nose tackle, has looked sensational here heading into the season. And then the joker spot, which has been Patrick Johnson, now he, he's he's getting NFL work in. Angel Anderson's a young guy who, in his second year, he's been a monster here in camp. And, and for, for Oklahoma fans who aren't quite sure what the Joker linebacker is, it's a two-lane kind of terminology. Think of it as an edge rusher, essentially, a stand-up right. edge rusher. That's what Angel Anderson's going to be, uh, really taking that mantle this year. So they think they got the weapons in the secondary to be much better at keeping things in front of them than they were last year. When push comes to shove, the front seven and the pass rush of this team is going to dictate how far they go. When you look at their defense, for me, watching some of the film from last year, the two guys that jump off the <laughs> jump off the TV screen immediately is Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams. Dorian Williams is a guy that um, I really like, long-rangey, super athletic linebacker that can do a little bit of everything. And, Corey, give us you, – you kind of mentioned – you kind of named off a few there, but give us a player or two on the defensive side of the football that OU fans – one should be aware of, especially Spencer Rattler, uh, who's going to have to be you know, going up against him here in, in just a few days. But give us one or two guys um, that Coach Willie Fritz, Chris Hampton are expecting to have a big year and are going to be you know, critical for Tulane to have the type of season they want to. 
I think the first guy that should keep some focus for, for Sooner fans in week one, Jojo Dorcius on the defensive line. He transfers in from Memphis. He comes back home. He, well, he was from the area. He left after Katrina, and he wanted to come back here. Uh, and they think they got something really special in him alongside Jeffrey Johnson up the middle. And then whomever's going to be on the edge rusher spot, whether it's Andrew Anderson, Darius Hodges has looked very good here in camp. But Jojo Dorsius is getting a lot of focus here for very good reason. And then, you know, I mentioned, you mentioned the two main guys in the linebacker spot. Dorian Williams is a a physical freak of nature. And and he's getting some looks for beyond this, uh, rightfully so. Kevin Henry is a guy that, you know, he will likely be the starting, one of the starting linebackers in week one. That's just been how things have gone here since, you know, this linebacking situation has been put in place. He's not going to do anything flashy. He's not going to do anything that will make you say, wow, but he's going to be doing everything and he's going to be doing the right thing. He's always going to be near the ball. And so to have a guy like that, that, you know, is just shorthanded, I think that's someone that Oklahoma fans would, would appreciate and seeing just kind of the work that he puts in. He and Marvin Moody don't get the credit that they deserve because of, of Williams and Anderson getting all the tackles here last year and getting so much of the focus on these watch lists that we've seen. But Kevin Henry has been really, really impressive to me just because he's doing seems like everything right. And and that's something that if you need the front seven to be good, and this team has long had a good front seven, you need a guy like that, that is kind of the calming, stabilizing force. Mm-hmm. Corey, obviously going into the game this weekend, Oklahoma is going to be the superior talented team. And many people nationally, you know, in, here in, in Norman with, with uh, all the beat writers and, and guys that follow the program, they think that this has a chance to be Lincoln Riley's best team since he's been in Norman. And that includes teams that, have had the likes of Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. So if you're Willie Freeze, outside of ultimately you know, trying to win the game itself, what do you want to see from your team on Saturday? And what are some things that Tulsa or that Tulane has to do uh, to find some success moving the football and stopping that high-powered offense from OU? And the first thing is I think Willie Fritz is not just hoping but expecting to keep pace with this club and that's easier said than done and very few have kept pace with Oklahoma over the years but I think he knows that he's got his best team since he's been here too and it's yeah it's a different barometer than what Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma are are working with but he's got the deepest team he's ever had here he's got the most talented team he's ever had here and they're not afraid of seeing the number two next to Oklahoma's name they see it as an opportunity to see just how good they can be. And offensively, they think they can vary things up. They don't have to necessarily grind things down, but they can go up tempo if need be with the evolution of Michael Pratt and some really impressive skill position players. And so I think he wants to see the game dictated on his terms, on, on two lanes terms. If they get into a run and gun showdown with Oklahoma, they're going to lose. Many have over the years. And so Willie Fritz has been a master over the years at controlling the pace of a football game. I think he anticipates doing that here in week one. Defensively, keep everything in front of you. I mean, it it caught him so many times last year against offenses that are worse than Oklahoma's. And so if he sees this secondary, this back five or four, depending on how they play, actually keep these unbelievable skill players that Oklahoma has in front of them, 
he's going to feel good about that because, you know, it's one thing to try and pick off the number two team in the country. It's another thing entirely when you see that this team has the talent to make some noise in this conference this year, despite a brutal schedule and little things like that in week one against a team of the caliber of Oklahoma, that's going to say a lot to Willie Fritz about what this team could look like come Thanksgiving. And again, just to kind of reiterate, I think that this is going to be a really good opening test for Oklahoma when you talk about how talented and how well-versed that front seven is to go along with an experienced set of uh, defensive backs uh, on the back end of that defense. But, Corey, I want to kind of transition to your role as a broadcaster. Now, outside of this weekend's game, uh, here in a couple of days against Oklahoma, and then the trip to Oxford to play Ole Miss in a couple of weeks, what's a game or two on the schedule that you're really excited to cover? I know you spent some time out on the East Coast. Is it a trip back out to Greenville uh, against East Carolina? I know that there's some really cool cities that, uh, that you're going to have a chance to visit this year. Selfishly, that week five game at East Carolina, um, I've certainly have that one on my radar, just seeing plenty of folks who I've spent six years with and some lifelong friends there and then calling this game against East Carolina. Yeah, I certainly have that circled on the calendar. I'll say that I have heard plenty about the bounce house in Orlando and and Tulane heads that way uh, midway through the year. And so I am very fascinated to see if UCF is everything that it has cracked up to be over the last few years, hosting Cincinnati Halloween weekend. And, mm-hmm. you know, Cincinnati makes it through their non-conference gauntlet with Notre Dame and Indiana on their schedule. A lot of people have this prevailing theory that Cincinnati's toughest test in the American, they host all of them. Well, that Halloween weekend game at Yeoman Stadium, I would beg to differ a little bit. So I'm fascinated <laughs> right. to see what Desmond Ritter and, and Cincinnati look like when they come in town at the end of October. But uh, yeah, I've heard plenty about the rickety stadium in Orlando, but I'd love to see how that one actually looks out. Looking past the first couple weeks of the season, past the OU and the Ole Miss games, how do you see this Tulane team competing in the AAC? Because we've heard Coach Fritz, and you were, you talked about it just a second ago, how, how highly Coach Fritz spoke of his team, the, the potential with the depth and the veteran experience at key positions. Where does Tulane kind of fall into the pecking order this year of how competitive they can be in this conference? They were picked seventh in the preseason, and it's not a surprise because the six teams that were picked above them, Tulane plays. They only have two of the teams underneath them that are picked to finish near the bottom. It's a brutal schedule, and – You get Cincinnati at home, which is helpful. You get Houston at home, which is helpful. You go to UCF, you go to SMU on a Thursday night. But talent-wise, this team, to me, is top four in this American. And this group, this depth that this team has, is as ready to handle a schedule like this as any other team in Tulane past over the last 20 years. They are as deep as Willie Fritz has ever had a team here. And you go back to the late 90s since there's been a team that has been this solid from top to bottom here at Tulane. There's a lost generation here of Tulane football. It's been down for a long time until Willie got here. And so now they've got the best team in a good two decades. They also have one of the hardest schedules they've ever had in this century. So They're equipped to handle the challenges that are to come. Will it always translate in a victory? I don't know. But this is a a nine-win caliber team on paper. Now they got to go out there and prove it. Yeah. 
Well, Corey, last thing before we get you out of here, I can't I can't have you come on the podcast without talking about some of the eateries around New Orleans and the Tulane campus. So for all the OU fans that are going to be making the trek down to New Orleans here in just a few days, what's a restaurant or two in the city of New Orleans? And then maybe what's going to be the hot spot on game day on Tulane campus that OU fans that are coming into town definitely need to at least check out? Well, what's great about this city that I found, and I've only been here for about two months here, uh, but what I've realized and come to know is that you can stumble into anything in this city and it's going to have great food. <laughs> like bad restaurants do not survive here. I'm, I'm gaining so much weight by coming here. Um, so wherever you're staying, Oklahoma fans, whether you're staying in downtown, whether you're staying out near the airport, wherever you might be, you're going to find some unbelievably great food. If you want a pick or two, if you want kind of quintessential New Orleans, not necessarily the tourist stuff that you'll get on bourbon. I mean, you'll go to bourbon. I know the Oklahoma fans will go to bourbon, but um, I would recommend Frenchman Street. That's the kind of the local spot for live music and and entertainment, Frenchman Street, um, which is not far from bourbon. But Frankie and Johnny's is this old school dive that has po' boys, gumbo, great just old sports memorabilia on the walls. It feels like a gust of wind would knock it over. It's not far from Tulane's campus in Uptown. That would be, you know, games at eleven o'clock. So when you're leaving the when you're leaving the stadium at two thirty three, heading over to Frankie and Johnny's and grabbing a po' boy for a late lunch is not the worst plan on earth in my mind. And then. I think you'd be a fool to not hit up the not hit up the Dumond for a little breakfast, a little if you need to set a bait for free gaming. Uh, there are there are if there are a couple locations, but go to the one downtown near Jackson Square uh, and go experience. I mean, it's it's worth the hype. You're gonna have to wait in line, but uh, it is worth the hype. And then you know Saturday night, you know there are plenty of spots where you can just stumble into both high class and low class, and you're gonna have yourselves one of the best meals you ever had. I'm super excited to be coming down to watch some college football, to watch OU, uh, you know, be back in action. But I'm also, I'm a fat kid at heart. Love me some beignets. Can't wait to get down there, try some of the, you know, the New Orleans cuisine, the Cajun seafood. So, uh, but again, totally appreciate you for coming on, Corey. OU fans are going to absolutely love this. We're excited to get down there. Uh, and Corey, where can, uh, where can OU fans and, and also maybe some Tulane fans, where can they find your work? Where can they hear you on the call? Uh, and maybe follow on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Glore. That's E-Y-O-O on the first and last name, respectively. And then in terms of listening to Tulane, if you want to listen in, uh, wherever you might be, the Varsity Network is a new app that's being launched here by the folks at Learfield. And that's where broadcasts will be live streaming, archived, and whether you tune in next, you know, for week one here, Oklahoma fans, or whether you want to tune in the rest of the way just to see how Tulane does to better a resume, however it might be shaping out for Oklahoma, um, I'd love to have you tune in. Uh, for those that are coming down here, uh, have a safe trip, and we look forward to hosting you. I know it's there's a buzz in this city about what's coming here on September 4th, and so we're excited to have it happen here. Cool. Well, Corey, thank you again for taking the time. Appreciate you ha- having us on. Um, have a great call at the game here in just a few days. And I uh, speak for many OU fans. We're excited to get down there uh, into the city of New Orleans. But more than that, we're excited that college football is back and we're going to be at some full capacity sta- stadiums this year. So, Corey, appreciate the time and we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
Well, we want to thank Corey for jumping on the podcast with us this week. I know I definitely learned a lot about Tulane. I think I've probably been beating the drum of this is a better team than uh, we expect. And I think OU fans are, are saying that as, you know, as far as, hey, Tulane's the best non-conference team OU's going to face this year. But I think that's more or less just a knock on Nebraska than actual respect for Tulane, just because people don't know much about uh, Tulane. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, I, Tyler, I know from just from your perspective, I'm curious to hear what you learned or, or what was new or surprising to you about uh, what Corey said. Yeah, kind of the biggest takeaway from listening to Corey's insight on this team is hearing him talk about how, you know, head coach Willie Fritz, how excited he is with his outlook on this year's squad. You know, this is the best team he's had since becoming the head coach. It's a veteran experience group. And, you know, guys, this is a team that isn't going to be scared coming into Norman this weekend. This is a very confident football team. They want to make a statement. They want to show the world that they can compete with the number two team in the country. And I bet this team comes out inspired this weekend, coming off the aftermath of Hurricane Ida that did some serious damage not only to their city but to their campus. Uh, I think OU is going to get the Green Wave's best shot in those first two quarters this weekend. So it should be a fun game and a good test. That's why I think it's probably going to be the biggest question for me is like, is this a Tulane team that's going to come out super inspired, you know, catastrophic event, play for your city, play for your state type of thing? Or is this messing, you know, psychologically with some of them and you're you're not going to get the best? So we're not going to know that until Saturday. Obviously, coach speak, though, all those guys are, quote unquote, going to be ready to play and, and ready to go. But, you know, we'll see. Um, are you going to see a overly inspired performance or are you going to tell we've got some guys on the team who – and rightfully so, mine's just a bit elsewhere. I guess if we can look at, you know, just not the external factors that are out there, but actually what's going to happen, you know, between the hash marks, essentially. And um, Corey mentioned that the two-lane front seven is probably one of their best, at least in recent memory, if not a very, very long time. I mean, he just talked about the the overall team success going to three straight bowl games. That's something Tulane has never done in program history. So, I don't know if I want to say it's the golden age of Tulane football because I just don't know enough about the, the program, but certainly a, a uh, you know a big uh, series of years for them. But he mentioned that front seven and saying it was really strong. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. Is this something that we can actually uh, come away from Saturday knowing a little bit more about the offensive line and the running game, or will it still be too early in your minds? That's a big question I have heading into this weekend because traditionally, as we know, the offensive line is t- traditionally have a few moving pieces up until Texas before it gets solidified. Um, and Lincoln Riley kind of confirmed that today, especially at the left tackle position. He named Swinson, Harrison, and Morris all will probably be out there. So you can tell from the start we're going to see some rotating pieces. But, guys, if this line is as good um, as we expect it to be to make a national title run, it needs to dominate this game. Um, and maybe more importantly than anything else that happens on the field, Spencer Rattler needs a clean jersey by the time he exits this game where the game is over. Um, so I do think there should be some high expectations on this offensive line. Yes, it may be a strong suit um, for this Tulane team to have a strong front seven on the defensive line. But guys, it's still Tulane. Um, and I'm not dogging them whatsoever, but the talent gap has got to be there and it needs to show starting game one this year if we're going to go where we hope to go. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm just excited to see this team take the field and play actually play a football game. You know, we've the the excitement's been building, the hype train's rolling on. We've been hearing time and time again about you know th- this guy's performing all well the camp. You know, and we're no longer on Saturday going to have to you know wonder you know who's the starting five on the offensive line, who's who's getting the reps at nickelback, who's going against Pat Fields uh, back there at that safety position. We're finally going to get some answers to those questions, and I think Tulane's going to be a, a pretty good test. Now, obviously, when OU's got the football. I think it's pretty safe to say our eyes are going to be locked on the offensive line. Now, Lincoln kind of threw the media bone today, uh, kind of divulging a little bit of information, talking about who's going to be you know, at those five offensive line positions. So that's going to be one where you're definitely going to want to keep your eye on, especially as the rotations go through in and out of the game. If there's one thing that we know about Bill Beanbow's group, that the offensive line that you're going to see on Saturday is probably going to look different as the year you know moves on and we transition into Big 12 play. Um, and then, guys, other than the offensive line for me, um, I really don't know if you're going to be able to see much from Spencer Rattler this game. I think that from a competition standpoint, he should dominate this game. He should light Tulane's secondary up. Now, I will say that OU's, OU's offensive line, they shouldn't have any trouble, both in pass protection and run blocking. This is a Tulane defensive front seven. They lost three out of their four starting defensive linemen. Yes, they do return all four uh, starting linebackers for this team. Um, if there's one thing that Corey did kind of reiterate and drive his point across, um, head coach Willie Fritz, he is very excited about his linebacker group. This is probably the best linebacker core in the American Atlantic or the American Athletic Conference, excuse me. So um, it's going to be a good test for all offensive line. And I'm really excited to see how our skill position guys, especially wide receiver, how they do going up against a veteran group of defensive backs uh, coming down from Tulane. Yeah, I think you, you said it really well, Corbin, like, this is a very experienced, some very talented guys. Um, so no disrespect to Tulane, but when you're expected to be a national championship contender, there needs to be a significant gap between you and pretty much anybody that's not a top 10 or 15 program. And so you need to actually show that no matter how good the other team might be in their respective conference. Um, so it's certainly an opportunity to really go out there and, and make a mark. And if you know they don't, do that significantly, then um, there's definitely reason for concern there. Um, this next one, uh, I did a little research. I'll, I was going to ask it as an over-under, but I think I'll just leave that mystery until the end of the podcast when we give some score predictions. But uh, I always in my mind had thought, you know, hey, the opener is usually a game where OU doesn't come out and blow a team out necessarily. And I think that was probably some old thinking on my part, thinking back to the early Bob Stoops years when we would beat Tulsa like 30 to three or something. It just wasn't super impressive. But looking back, um, Lincoln Riley, since he came to town as offensive coordinator and as head coach, we've averaged 46.4 points per game in the opener against FBS teams. So um, I guess I'll kind of leave that one to, uh, to the end of the podcast. But do you guys have any thoughts? Uh, do you think there will be any slowness from the offense coming out of the gate? It's, it's highly possible, right? I mean, it is a, a new season, um, but you would think with the amount of guys returning from last year's team, having a full spring ball, no real COVID um, hiccups along the way so far that we know of, um, you would think they'd come out firing. Um, but, you know, if last weekend's game were any indication that maybe they're going to have a slow start, we, we might be off to one if those five games proved anything. 
Well, one, we're going to have the superiorly talented team, so yep. sp- specifically on offense. And you're also thinking about a two-lane you know, defensive side of the football that they do have a first-year off- or defensive coordinator in Chris Hampton. They are replacing five guys on that side of the football. So uh, OU, they should come out, and th- they may not look you know, as sharp and crisp as what we're used to them seeing, but with the talent level being such a – you know, such a huge discrepancy. Oh, you should roll from the from the very beginning. And um, Adam, kind of throwing this back to you, man. Is there uh, is there a guy or two who you know we've gone through off season, we've gone through fall camp, we've heard so many good things about this guy, or so many question marks about this position? Uh, is there a guy or two that you've kind of got your eye on, and you want to see uh, big things from on Saturday? Offensively, uh, not not necessarily. It would be nice if a guy like Hazelwood or Weiss could just go out and dominate and show why they were five-star players coming out of high school. I think Weiss has been solid through his career, but we really haven't seen him be like the go-to spectacular catch type of guy so far. Um, so that would be encouraging to see if one of those two guys have a big game here. For, for me, it has to be who's the third running back. And can he looks somewhat impressive against a lesser competition to give us some hope that if a Brooks or um, a Gray, um, sorry, I'm facing Eric Gray, right? Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's been a Tuesday, guys. Um, if Eric Gray, you know, does stumble along the way, gets hurt for any you know reason whatsoever, like do we have a guy that can hop in there and just maintain that role? Mm-hmm. Um We'll see, and we'll see who comes out third. But, you know, it'll be very, very interesting just to kind of see if they get meaningful snaps or if it'll just be cleanup duty. Yeah, definitely want to see what Jaden Knowles looks like. I mean, especially these first two games, Tulane and Western Carolina, you would think that oh, that Lincoln Riley's not going to have to rely on Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray much, and we can see those third and fourth options at running back uh, get some run, especially in the second halves. But for me – Adam, you hit the nail on the head. I want to see how Jaden Hazelwood's moving around. If you know he, he's you know he's fully recovered from that ACL tear, doesn't have the knee brace anymore. We've been hearing a lot of good things about them. How's he moving around? And how's a guy like Austin Stogner moving around? A guy that had a very very significant injury uh, going back to the Kansas game last season, and you know we've heard a lot of really good things about how he's progressed. But guys, number one for me, I cannot wait to see what Mike Woods looks like. Obviously, going back through his highlight tape, had some really good play at Arkansas. He's a he's a dream. Uh, wide receiver if you're Lincoln Riley looking at what you could have possibly gotten in the transfer portal so seeing how Mike Woods fits into this offense um, is just another weapon for Spencer Rattler and hopefully he can make some plays on Saturday yeah he is a, a dreamy wide receiver so we hear you loud and clear Tyler um, he's a, a, Adam in the transfer portal he's a dream scenario because you couldn't have asked for a better guy to show up there that Lincoln Riley could go in and poach. So we'll, we'll, we'll just slide past that one. Yeah. I hear what you're saying there. Um, uh, going over to the uh, defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I believe it was Lincoln Riley who said this uh, at his press conference day that Justin Broyles has made one of the biggest leaps uh, this late in his career that he's seen from any player. I don't think that's necessarily going to turn into a lot of reps on the field, but um, I guess I'll turn this over to, to Corbin first. You know, what is it that you're wanting to see from that safety and nickel back uh, position on Saturday? I don't know that I have something in particular that sticks out to me. I'm just kind of curious to see the reps who starts. Um, and again, guys, you, you would think this game is over by halftime. So how much can you really pull from this game anyway? But yeah, I'll be interested. And in, let's take a quick moment here. Like Justin Burroughs has been beat up in this program quite often, not only on the field, but from a lot of fans. The fact that he's stuck this out, he's maintained, um, you know, his enrollment at OU, stuck with the team, all of this, it, it, it should go up there very similar to how we view Caleb Kelly 
in a sense where a guy has stuck it through. He's a sooner through and through captain um, Kelly. Captain Kelly, that's right. Um, and we, we as Sooner fans, should hope that he is a strong co- contributor this year. Um, that can do nothing but good things if he comes out on the field and is a strong contributor throughout the season. So, um, yeah, very curious to see how the, the nickelback position plays out between Cordell and Bowman. Um, you would think Bowman gets the edge of the start based on some things Grinch said today that um, Cordell had kind of missed a little bit of time. Uh, you know, throughout the spring ball. So curious to see who starts there. But, you know, guys, I, I'm not going to put a whole lot of weight into what's going to take place on the field this week, but it will be interesting to see how the snap counts um, are played out between those two guys in particular. It was really good to hear Grinch, um, you know, kind of glow when, when talking about, you know, Justin Broyles performance. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's been pretty solid throughout his OU career. He kind of gets a bad rap. OU fans are pretty hard on him because of, you know, that one game against LSU where, you know, there's probably not a handful of defensive backs in America that season that could cover Jamar Chase or, jo- or Jordan Jefferson. So uh, it's good to see that he's playing extremely well. And that safety position is going to be one that I keep my eye on, on Adam, because when you look at what Tulane likes to do offensively, Michael Pratt Jr., you know, coming back going into his second year at, at quarterback for this team, this is a guy that when you watch the film, honestly, he kind of reminds me of a little bit of Trevor Knight, where he's a, he's a guy, he's kind of long, rangy, athletic, likes to th- push the ball down the field. So Tulane's going to have some weapons that OU's going to have to deal with. Obviously, Deuce Watts, Jaquan Jackson, two guys that combined for 14 touchdowns last year catching the football. So I think that this is going to be a good test for the back end of OU's defense. And uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, just watching this front seven for OU. If this is the team that we've that we think that they are, if the, if this position group lives up to what you know Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch and a lot of the local media has been talking about, oh, you should shut this team down uh, pretty pretty strong, and it should be a really good performance from Speed D on Saturday. Yeah, I think going down another level, the defensive line we've talked about them ad nauseum at this point. We think they're going to do some great things, but I think the linebackers are going to be some of the biggest benefactors of the defensive line play this year. Every level of defense is going to be benefactors of them, but the linebackers, especially in a competition like this, you know, how are they going to clean up all those things that um, the defensive line puts on their plate for them? You know, the tackles for lost opportunities, um, the tipped passes, so on and so forth. And I, I'm really curious to see, especially this week and probably going into Western Carolina as well, is there one linebacker that really steps up? Because you can look at that depth chart and make a case for Deshaun White, for Asamoa, for Kelly, um, you know, for Aguebu. Some people are really high on Danny Stutzman, Shane Witters, you know, got some talent. There's so many guys there. And I just am like, okay, is one of these guys going to step up and say, hey, you can't take me off the field. You cannot afford to do that the way Kenneth Murray did that in 2019. So I'm curious to see if anybody steps up in that direction. Guys, that's one of the reasons why I'm not sure we're going to learn a whole lot about the secondaries because I do think that front seven dominates the entire game. Um, it's very similar to how you know we spoke about the offensive line. There should be a distinct level of talent um, difference between the two teams. Mm-hmm. That front seven, like you said, Tyler, if they're as good as we think they are, um, then the secondary probably shouldn't get tested all that much because there shouldn't be time for that to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the front seven and specifically the depth of the front seven going off what you mentioned, Adam. I think you look at not only the linebacker position with the Witter, with the Studsman, with the Clayton Smith, but also on the D-line position with the Reggie Grimes, uh, Kevin, Kelvin Gilliam, some of those young guys coming in that we've heard great things about. Um, you know, we should expect them to play. 
and we should expect them to play well. And so we'll get, I think, a, a pretty good glimpse of how deep we can go, but also um, the quality of the depth. Mm-hmm. You know, can those guys play in big games, not just, you know, non-conference opponents that, you know, you should handle from first quarter to fourth quarter? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Next thing I was looking forward to watching was the depth on this team, especially the young guys, the, the freshmen, the Kelvin Gilliams, the Danny Stutzmans, Latrell McCutcheon, how he holds up in coverage out on the uh, – uh, out on the perimeter so no it's it's going to be a good opportunity for OU fans to you know check out what what all the hype's been about you know this is a chance for Oklahoma to basically start this season off on the right note go out there put up 50 or 60 points hold this team under you know I don't know what a good you know score prediction is going to be we'll get to that a little bit later but um, you know this should be a good uh, overall performance especially on the defensive side of the football um, and hopefully that we get the season started off on the right note yeah Transitioning from what we did last week, guys, obviously the first week last um, Tuesday of Beers and Bets. I'm going to go ahead and crack up a a second one here. I have told my girlfriend I am not drinking until Friday, so this might be a quote-unquote beer that goes to waste. Uh, We'll see if that actually comes true or not. But moving on to week two, guys, we all went three and two. If we can replicate that throughout the season, I think all of us would be really, really happy uh, with three and two every single week. We can live with that. But uh, we want to hop into it. Obviously, we've got five picks this week before we get into our score predictions for OU Tulane. Uh, doing something a little bit different this week, and we're going to make sure the lines are current. So we, before we actually make a pick, we're going to make sure at this moment we have the lines in place, which could um, you know change some picks along the way. So, Tyler, let's start with you. Um, five picks. Do we want to start with just the first one, or we'll run all three, five of them through? Yeah, uh, let's just do one at a time and alternate back and forth. Um, so for me, I'm starting out on Thursday night in Big Ten country. I'm going Ohio State at Minnesota. Um, I'm actually going to take the Buckeyes on this one. First half, minus seven. I know that Minnesota is returning 10 starters on both the offensive and defensive side of the football. I know this game is going to be played in front of a sold-out TCF Bank Stadium. P.J. Flex is going to row the boat in the locker room pregame. But this one's easy for me. Ohio State's still Ohio State. Even though they are replacing Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson catching balls out on the perimeter, I like these. I like this Ohio State team a lot more than the Golden Gophers. So I think Ohio State jumps on them quickly, and I think they cover the seven points in the first half. How do you feel about seven and a half? Because that is not line. I'll take seven and a half. All right, seven, seven and, a half. and a half. Adam, first nice. pick. Yeah, week week one is probably my least favorite week because I just know nothing about these teams. So. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, my first one is uh, Texas Tech playing at Houston. Uh, Red Raiders are only a one-point favorite. Yes, Houston is one of the most talented group of five teams. They're still a group of five teams, so I'm relying on Texas Tech having a little bit more talent. I think Tyler Shuck, uh, you know, being named the starter at the Red at uh, Texas Tech there is going to help them a little bit. So only one point. I think they can cover that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first pick for me, I'm going Penn State plus five and a half versus Wisconsin. Um, I don't love Wisconsin at all. I know there's a lot of um, excitement around that program heading into this year. I think for as bad as Penn State was last year, James Franklin's going to have that team ready to go this season. And what a tough way to start, though, to go and at Camp Randall for conference play to kick off the season. That's tough. But I think this uh, Penn State Nittany Lion team is going to be ready. Um, I know, I think that there's at least one of you guys that are going to differ in, uh, that pick, uh, later on, but for me, Penn state plus five and a half to kick things off. Tyler pick number two, who you got? I just want to reiterate, I can still get Ohio state minus seven through bet MGM. So we'll, we'll keep it at seven and a half. Well, this we is have, your segment. This is your segment. We'll, 
on a certain spot that we go for our betting lines. Have we not, Adam? We agreed on it. So, uh, <laughs> Tyler, you're going to have to live with the results here. Corbin, beers and bets. This is your segment. We'll roll with it. Seven and a half. Start behind the eight ball. Well, it's okay. That, that's every week on the podcast for me. I, it's I'll just it's amazing. Like two of us always seem to know what's going on. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know what happens after that. All right. Number two for me. Moving on here. I'm going Miami, Ohio at Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by 22 and a half. Cincinnati won its first seven games last season by an average of over 29 points. 22 and a half might sound like a lot in week one. But I think with the combination of Desmond Ritter at the quarterback position, Jerome Ford at running back, I think that combination is going to be entirely too much for Miami of Ohio. Don't think they'll be able to handle that. So give me Cincinnati to cover the 22 and a half uh, th- this weekend. Thanks for getting the line right. Is that is that is 22 and a half okay? We can raise it. I mean, <laughs> if you want to go 23, we can. Well, uh, speaking of a line that is a lot higher, I guess I'm jumping back in time to a Thursday night game, which is Bowling Green at Tennessee. Bowling Green, one of the worst teams in the FBS, went 0-5 in their limited action last year, but they're 35.5 point underdogs. That's such a high line. Tennessee has not won a game by that much uh, since 2015 against an FBS opponent, uh, and they actually have played Bowling Green since then. So uh, I think Josh Heupel will improve Tennessee's offense, but in game one, I, I'm just saying that's a little bit too high of a line for my taste. Yeah. I think that's a pretty solid pick. Um, I'm going out to Pac-12 country, Fresno State um, versus Oregon. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. I don't think Fresno State's bad. I think it's a very similar comparison to like OU Tulane. I think it's kind of in that same wheelhouse. Um, but what I'm looking at here is the over of 63 and a half. I think there are going to be points in that game. There's going to be a lot of them. Um, so I feel pretty confident there in Fresno State and Oregon over 63 and a half. I'm going to stay for my third pick. I'm going to go back to that exact same game as well, Corbin. This is one where I can't let the recency bias sway me the other direction. Yes, I know Fresno State scored 45 points last week in a blowout win over UConn, but hey, it's UConn. Relique Brown in modern-day high school could probably beat UConn uh, in college football right now. So while Fresno State's quarterback, uh, Jake Hayner, he had a very good performance last weekend. He's facing a completely different animal this weekend up in Eugene against, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and the Ducks. So give me Mario Cristobal's team. 20 and a half doesn't seem like too big of a number here. So give me Oregon minus 20 and a half for pick number three. This one's going to make me either sound like a complete genius or a complete idiot. But uh, I'm taking Kent State uh, plus 28 and a half at Texas A&M. Kent State, combination of a hot coach and Sean Lewis, not that type of hot Tyler. Uh, he is uh, probably going to have a you know, power five job at some point in his near future. And then uh, Dustin Crum, uh, you know, their quarterback, who's got some pretty uh, tremendous experience and some pretty tremendous success on the field as well. I think they can score enough. And I think Texas A&M breaking in a new quarterback uh, might not be able to just absolutely run away with this one. And maybe it's a garbage time touchdown that you know helps that line. But I think Kent State uh, and the Golden Flash can can keep it somewhat within that you know close range. Yeah, and that uh, bounced in your direct direction earlier, Adam. That was at 27 and a half just a few hours ago, and it moved a point. Uh, I like that pick a lot better at 28 and a half than I did at 27 and a half. I had A&M minus 27 and a half originally, and then when you guys updated the numbers, took that one off the list. So uh, pr- appreciate that one. Well, pick, pick number four for me. Uh, Do I give it's the, Do I give yeah, my third? Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, just, yeah. It's yeah, his segment. My segment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going to the biggest game of the week down in Death Valley, Ugga versus Clemson. 
Um, guys, I, I do think these two offenses, as good as those two defenses will be throughout the year, we've seen it time and time again. Good offense beats good defense. So I'm going to take the over there as well at 51 and a half. I think both those teams can get into the high 20s, low 30s, which is what I'm shooting for. Um, and I feel feel pretty good about that one as well. Tyler, now to you, my friend. I'm going to stick with this exact same game, but this game's going to take place in Charlotte. So let me go out to the city, oh, the right. state, state of North Carolina. So um, Georgia at Clemson. Isn't Clemson minus three right now still? It is. Yep, minus Don't three. Get, okay. Well, you know, when you look at this one and you and you think about Georgia, you know, Jake Fromm performed well, but he couldn't get Georgia over the hump. They passed on Justin Fields, Stetson Bennett, Matthew Saracen 2.0. He wasn't the guy. And in steps JT Daniels from USC. And after the way Georgia closed out the season last year with Daniels going 4-0, the expectations are at an all-time high in Athens. And we're about to find out, I think, if JT Daniels is that guy. If he's the missing piece that Kirby Smart has been looking for, we all know about Georgia's defense. That running back room is one of the best in college football year in and year out. But this weekend down in Charlotte, no Darnell Washington, no Arik Gilbert, no George Pickens. You're not going to beat Clemson for four quarters simply trying to run the football. You've got to make plays out on the perimeter. And I don't know in week one of the season if Georgia is ready to do that. So Clemson need this needs this game more than Georgia. Um, if Clemson wins, this team is essentially in the college football playoff. I think we can go ahead and knock one out of those four spots done, uh, pending they just absolutely fall apart in the regular season. So Week one, Clemson and Georgia. Give me Dabo and DJ over Kirby Smart and JT Daniels. So I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the Tigers minus three in this one. I want to pause there. So you're saying Clemson needs this win more than Georgia does? If Georgia loses this game, then they're scheduled throughout the the regular season in the SEC. They'll have a future matchup in the SEC championship game, more likely against an Alabama or Texas A&M. So if Georgia loses this game, they will still have more and more opportunities to pick up quality wins as the season goes on. And can't really say, say the same about that for, for Clemson, especially when they dodge North Carolina and Miami in the regular season. I think I'd lean the other way. I think this is a bigger game for Georgia. Cause they, yes, they've got chances for better wins, but they've also had more chances for losses. And a two-loss SEC team, two-loss any team, is not getting in the playoff unless there's – a massive shakeup. Mm-hmm. So I would feel more confident in Clemson losing this and running the table and being just fine because the name on the helmet. Yep. I don't think I don't think Georgia has that that room for error. I guess the reason why I, I would side with Clemson on this is because outside of this matchup against Georgia, Clemson's more than likely not going to face another ranked team the entire season. So they're not going to have all those opportunities, I guess until possibly North Carolina and the ACC championship to you know, improve their resume, to rack up those quality wins. So I think that this game means more for Clemson. If you can go out there and win this game, this kind of cements your place um, firmly in that top four as you go out, go throughout the regular season. So Well, as always, I'm going to side with Corbin on this one and move to my number four, which is San Diego State Aztecs, 31-point favorites against New Mexico State, a team that we did see last weekend. They lost by 27 points at home to UTEP. So I'm figuring the Aztecs can uh, do just a little bit more damage. Yeah, I'm going to, um, I believe this is a Thursday night game, right, boys, UCF? I uh, believe that's Thursday night. I'm actually super pumped for this game for what it's worth. Um, I am going to take UCF minus five and a half there. Um, I think Gus Malzahn with some new scenery uh, gets back to what I think is honestly probably a false stereotype that he is an offensive mastermind. Um, but I think that that new venue, 
lesser competition. This helps, I think, in the bounce house. UCF wins by at least a touchdown. Anyways, moving on on from from that one, uh, pick pick number five for me. I had about three or four different games written down for this one, and I hate that I'm going to do this, but I'm going down to Austin for this one. Louisiana plus eight at Texas. Aside from needing to replace two running backs, the Raging Cajuns basically have the enti- have the same starting roster that won ten games last season, including road wins over Iowa State, App State, and UAB. Now. They've got 20 starters back, and this is head coach Billy Napier's best team going into his fourth season at Louisiana. And, guys, this one is really interesting to me because, like I've said time and time again, it feels like going into the last eight or nine college football seasons, I have no idea what to expect from Texas. I don't know what I'm going to get from the Longhorns, especially in week one. New head coach, new coordinators, Hudson Cards making his first start at quarterback. Yes, B. John Robinson is a stud, and they've got some really good core pieces on the on the defensive side of the football I just still don't trust that enough going up against the Raging Cajuns. So this line started out at Texas minus 14 and a half, and it's dropped all the way down to eight. So while I'm not confident in taking money line Louisiana in this game to get the upset in Austin, I still think that this is a team that's good enough to stay within one possession. So give me Louisiana plus eight in week one down in Austin. Bold pick. Uh, I'm going to also a Louisiana team, but I'm going to put my faith and trust in the shoulders of a man who almost beat out Kyler Murray for the starting job at Oklahoma. And that would be Austin Kendall, who is now at Louisiana Tech, if you were not aware. And so uh, they're at Mississippi State to open the season. Over under on this one is 52 and a half, I think, with a Mike Leach offense and, you know, someone that almost beat out Kyler Murray. Surely they can get over the 52 and a half. So. Um, that's where I'm going to go with my last one. I'm going to go ahead and put an L beside that one. <laughs> Maybe. My my final pick of uh, the evening, guys, uh, I'm going out to, again, back to Pac-12 country. Um, outside of knowing Kansas is going to be bad, I think we're all pretty confident Arizona is also bad at football. I know BYU is replacing a lot, specifically at the quarterback position with Zach Wilson moving on to the NFL. But minus 12 and a half seems very manageable for a BYU team who – does beat bad um, power five teams quite often. Uh, so I'm going to lay my money there on BYU minus 12 and a half out in Tucson. Um, and so that wraps up uh, our beers and bets uh, segment for tonight. Guys, before we close, um, as we're going to do every single week, we're going to get some score predictions on the OU game. Adam, start with um, you on this. What's your score prediction? What makes you confident that's going to happen? I have been chewing on this the entire podcast episode. I'm not exactly sure where I want to go with it because there's just so many weird variables that are are with this game. Um, but I think I'm going to settle in on 48 to 13 OU. I don't think it'll be a blowout until probably the second half of that second quarter. I think it'll be really tight up until that point, and then things loosen mm-hmm. up for, for OU. Brian, me pick six? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Corbin, what do you got? Uh, not too far off from Adam, honestly. I'm going 55-13. Um, I think this is over relatively early, and I think it is in bad taste if you run up the score on a team whose home state just went through a hurricane. So I think Lincoln lays off the uh, the gas pedal a little bit there. As, well, Texas never does that, but Lincoln probably should do that here. Um, I'm saying 55-13. The line there, guys, is 69. So I'm saying just under there, literally by a point. Uh, nice. Yep, that's where I'm going. Tyler, finish us off. 
I'm I'm kind of right there in the same line of thinking as you guys. I've got 56 to 17. This is a talent mismatch across the board, no matter you know which way you slice it. So um, I think Spencer Rattler, Eric Gray, um, they make their presence felt early and often. And I think that once you get into midway through the third quarter, all the fourth quarter, I think we'll be able to see some of those guys that were we talked about earlier in the podcast, get some of those young guys in there, see what they can do on both sides of the football. So I'm going 56 to 17 on this one. And uh, all three of us are, are expecting a blowout win for OU's home opener. And, guys, I can't let us get out of here without, one, getting your thoughts on the dumpster fire that is Nebraska football. And, number two, fans, so that you're aware, the University of Oklahoma did put out their 2021 tailgating policies today. And so just kind of starting with Nebraska, Adam, uh, Scott Frost, uh, does he make it on the plane to Norman, or does he get fired uh, before he leaves the stadium after the OU-Nebraska game? I'm still of the opinion that he makes it through the entire year and through January 1st when his buyout drops by another $5.5 million. But, I mean, are we really surprised here? I I mean, they are what we thought they were going to be. They have the same problems they did, you know, last year and the year before. So I, I don't know why we're acting like it's such a crazy thing that they look bad. That's who they are at this point. You know, guys, there was there was promise about Nebraska in the first half. It wasn't necessarily pretty. But at least the front seven, I was like, okay, formidable. Not good, not great, but like at least, I mean, they got after Illinois' quarterback, knocked one of them out in the first half. Um, <laughs> but then it was the the fumble by, by Martinez to kind of end the half that really just seemed to change things. I know Nebraska made a run late. Um, I don't think Illinois is Illinois bad. I don't think they're good. Um, and one thing as – you know, all of us are very aware of Nebraska fans are phenomenal. And I don't know if you guys heard today that they um, there's a couple of donors that end up purchasing uh, the remaining um, tickets for this this weekend's game in Lincoln. And they're going to donate them to some youth groups or stuff like that to keep the uh, sellout streak alive. So props still to the Nebraska fan base, but that might be the last sellout. I'll be honest, guys. I, I, I don't know why I expected – this season of Scott Frost to be any different. I mean, Adrian Martinez, this is his fourth year as, as a starting quarterback in in this program. And, you know, the the fumble, the stupid mental mistakes, you know, <laughs> the Nebraska special teams catching the ball on the two-yard line, running back into the end zone, and then getting tackled for a safety. I don't care how bad Nebraska football is, you still shouldn't lose to Illinois, especially in week one against, you know, Brett Bielema. Now, he's a fantastic coach, but in his first game at that program, um, it, it, it's unacceptable. And, you know, that – OU Nebraska, it's not going to be what we what we hoped it was going to be um, coming up here in a couple more weeks when Nebraska comes to Norman. But um, Corbin, when when I saw that, whenever you were, you know quote tweeted the part about the the Nebraska donors buying those extra tickets, even though I'm not overly excited about watching the product that Nebraska is going to put out on the field, their fan base coming down, the tailgating, the atmosphere from you know you know Big Red Nation, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm still looking forward to that game. And guys. We joined the SEC. OU is going to be part of the SEC in 2025, hopefully sooner. A lot of things are going to change, but apparently the tailgates uh, setup is not going to change whatsoever. So um, any thoughts on the lack of change? I, I thought that going back into this season, there was going to be uh, everything was kind of returning to normal. And I guess I forgot what normal was like when it comes to OU tailgating. So Corbin, have fun with that. I mean, guys, I remember being, you know, working in the Sooner Club when we adjusted the tailgating things last time and just total anarchy of, you know, I spend X amount of dollars and I can't even tailgate on Lindsay Street anymore. And mm-hmm. 
it's it's I'm trying to not be just a total ass about this. It's, it's a joke. I mean, the tailgating scene in Norman is a joke. Um, they could do so much more with it, and they don't. I understand, you know, having fan fest and stuff like that, and using that as another opportunity to have the sponsors and all that set up to more money. I, I get all of that, but you could do so much more. Lindsay Street needs to be back open up. Um, that is just an incredible spot when. When I was a student, that was where everybody went. Um, and it just has not been the same since. There was nothing quite like being on the south side of the stadium. The road closed off. People everywhere. Um, so I miss it, guys. I miss it a lot. And the students at OU right now that haven't had that experience, this is all you know. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, it, it, it was better at one point. <laughs> yeah. I guess to be a little repetitive, are we really surprised? And I don't think it's going to change when we go to the SEC. I think it'll continue to be the same. And the reason being that, um, you know, really the it needed to change to give people another reason to come to Norman, another reason to buy season tickets, another reason to be at the games. And when you go to the SEC, it'll be more about the opponents. People will show up regardless, and it'll be less of a real need. I don't think that the fact that Ole Miss or LSU have great tailgating scenes is it changes anything in Norman. Nobody's going to be like, hey, we need to have that. We don't want to be embarrassed there. There's no scoreboard for tailgating. It, there's no, you know, there's no real negative at that point if people are just showing up and still buying tickets just to see, you know, the schedule. So I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Well, just just looking at this map that, that they put out a little bit earlier today, you can't tailgate on Lindsay Street. That was the most popular thing. That was the best atmosphere for pregame whatsoever. Now you've got the, you know, you've got the honors colleges, um, Last I heard, they weren't even, they were probably about half full. So glad we're utilizing that. And then, guys, as you're looking around some of the various places around campus, you can't even go west of the football stadium, North Oval, South Oval. Tailgating is not permitted in that. Even all the way back up to, you know, close to Boyd Street over by Campus Corner, none of that's available for par- for uh, <laughs> for tailgating. And then once you move over to the east side, when you've got all the various parking lots, Sarkis, Jenkins, Duck Pond, all that all that land is developed and it's in its parking lot, so there's really not a good atmosphere there. So, I, I just don't know what OU has to make changes to this, and, and I don't know if it's going to take a year in the SEC going to some of these different venues, seeing how chaotic and how passionate the fan base is, and how serious they take their tailgating seriously. But um, OU is a blue blood in this sport, and they need to be a blue blood in terms of tailgating and fan atmosphere before the game. So, and. Guys, kind of one of the questions that uh, when listening to the radio earlier today, somebody called in and was wondering, you know, as far as tailgating goes and there not being very many good options for for fans, do you guys think that it has anything to do with the the vendors at Campus Corner? Are they trying to keep – are they trying to drive people over towards Campus Corner, over to Ocon's, the bar set up over there? Are they trying to drive more and more money over into that and and less, you know, you see less people, you know, parking their cars and pitching tents and all that? There's enough people to go around. I mean, 90,000 people are in town. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. And I don't think that OU would necessarily try to do that for the businesses. Yeah, I, that would surprise me a lot. I mean, I, I guess it's possible, um, but I'd be stunned if that was the case. But Tyler, I don't know, even if Joe C goes to the Grove and experiences it firsthand, I don't I don't think that's changing anything. Unless, literally, unless I... The only way I see this changing is if Greg Sankey literally walks up to Norman and be like, hey, this has got to change, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of that would actually move the needle. I don't think there's an experience we're going to see or anything like that because we've, we've done that. I mean, we, we've been around the country and we've seen better tailgating 
at a Tennessee, at an Ohio State, you know, at some of these bigger, big schools. Kansas State, Baylor, Texas Tech. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think, you know, the, the crazy SEC tailgates are going to move the needle. Not to put a not to put a damper. We do want to finish this podcast on a positive note. So all three of us, we're predicting blowout wins for Oklahoma on Saturday. And uh, as always, guys, if you made it this far, appreciate you guys for listening. Go follow, like, and subscribe the podcast. We're on all the various platforms: Apple, Spotify, uh, and give us a give us a follow on Twitter at um, the Mainline Pod One. Love uh, chatting, interacting with you guys. Uh, and now that college football season here, there's going to be some pretty good content, and you know we're more and more excited to uh, interact with you guys. But Uh, No, it's a big one this Saturday. Um, OU hype train is in full effect. Chase for number eight. Uh, It starts on Saturday at 11 a.m. inside Owen Field. So uh, for, you know, Corbin, Adam, Tyler, appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back next week, hopefully recapping a big W and looking ahead to OU's next matchup against Western Carolina. So appreciate you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Podcast.